1: Would you open the Word of God with me, please, in the New Testament to the book of Acts? And I want to take you, at least in this first session, to a little foundational section in Acts chapter number 6. Now, you're going to be ahead of everybody that didn't come to Sunday school this morning, so go ahead and congratulate yourself for that, all right? And you can tell them when they come in later, I already know where the preacher's going. But look at Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. This is the early church, and I might even say this is what a church in revival looks like. Have you ever wondered if you've ever seen a real revival? What does it look like? Look at Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied. That sounds nice. Doesn't that sound nice? How many of you would like to live in the first part of that verse? Yes? (laughs) Keep reading. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Can I just remind you that everything God ordains, Satan opposes? And everywhere God is working, Satan is fighting. Some people have this idea, if revival comes, oh, if revival comes, then it's just going to be this warm, fuzzy feeling all the time. We all just hold hands and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, and it's just, it's wonderful. Well, it is wonderful when revival comes, but it is also spiritual warfare when revival comes. Keep reading, verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. May I just say to you, I think the great victory in this section is not verse 1, it's verse 7. Now We love to talk about all that happened, you know, and the people multiplying and the growth of the first century church. But may I just say to you, I've seen a lot of churches where God was blessing and disciples were being multiplied and the gospels being preached and good things were happening. And then when the attack came, suddenly they got detoured, and they never made it to verse number 7. I think the great victory of the first century church was not that they were multiplying, is it was that they continued to multiply even after the devil tried to stop what God was doing. I want you to do something. Now, let me just tell you, time out just a second, let me tell you where I'm going this week. Would you take your pen, and would you circle in verse number 5 the name of Philip? How many of you see the name Philip? Do you see the name Philip? Philip. Did you know he's the only man, the only man in Scripture called the evangelist? And I'm going to talk to you about him this week. We're going to study the life and ministry of Philip the evangelist all through the book of Acts. I can't wait to walk through this passage with you. But what I want to begin with is is the context of the text, the the setting of his story. We'll, We'll come back to Philip... Later this morning, but let's begin not with Philip Let's begin with the broader context of this local assembly with this church I want you to mark something in verse 1 that's repeated again in verse number 7 Would you take your pen in hand and mark this in your Bible in verse number 1? It says in those days when notice the next two words, please the what I didn't hear you I'm sorry the what the number, the number of the disciples was multiplied would you mark in verse 1 the number and then would you come to verse number 7 where it says, And the word of God increased and, what's the next two words, church? The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Do you believe in this church that every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God? So that means God doesn't use any words frivolously. Everything is there on purpose. There's no fluff. There's nothing used there as a filler. Is that right? that what you believe? So why does the Holy Spirit tell us about the numbers? That's fascinating to me. May I say to you right up front that the work of God cannot be measured merely by numbers. It's not just about the numbers. People have this crazy notion that when God really moves, man, you're going to have a crowd. You're going to have a crowd. Well, you may have a crowd, and when the Lord shows up, There's a beautiful attraction to that that draws people to himself. But I'll remind you of a couple things. On one hand, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's in the midst of them. And on the other hand, I would also remind you that the devil knows how to get a crowd. So it can't just be about the numbers. And yet, at the same time, God emphasizes the number. If I ask you this morning, tell me how big the church in Philippi was. Somebody stand and tell me, how many did they run in Sunday school at Thessalonica? I'm curious. Or what did, they, what did they run for Bible study in Ephesus? Somebody says, well, hmm, we don't know how to answer that question. We, we can't tell you. I'll tell you why you can't tell us, because God doesn't tell us. And you know why God doesn't tell us? Because that is not the emphasis of the New Testament. It's fascinating. Once you get past the opening chapters of the book of Acts, you don't see a lot of numbers reported for the local New Testament church. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the measurement of Christ's church is not the size of the church. It is the spirit of that church. I'm in some churches that are very large. I'm in some churches that are very small. And somebody says, well, well, how are they different? I don't think about that. I don't think about it at all. I'm going to tell you why. Because the Lord's work is the Lord's work no matter how many people are involved in that work. And yet, I would remind you that every number is a soul. And if every number is a soul, then the heart of the believers in a local assembly ought to be, Dear Lord, we want to reach and teach as many people as we possibly can. We we want to go after them. We want to get the gospel to them. We want to bring them into the assembly of the local church. Why? Because the Lord is at work in the lives of people in this way. But what do we learn about the numbers? I've been meditating on this little section of Scripture, and I think there's some divine arithmetic here. I was reminded recently God's ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So don't you know God's math is much higher math than our math? How many mathematicians are here? Raise your hand, please, big and high. You people that like numbers. Come on, raise your hand. God bless both of you. My lands. <laughs> I was going to say we don't like you people, but I, you're, 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 in the, you're in the minority of this group, so we're just going to have to say, God bless you. We're glad you're gifted in such a way. <laughs> math was never my strong suit. The numbers were never my thing. But if you want to talk about higher math, let me tell you about higher math. It's God's math. Would you write a few things down? Just lay a little foundation for our study this week. Number one, I want you to see, first of all, the principle of multiplication. He begins with multiplication. May I say to you that God's work is always a multiplying work. Jesus takes just a handful of disciples and eventually he multiplies it until every creature under heaven heard the gospel. Isn't that glorious? I don't know when this church started, but this church started, I'd say, somewhere with a handful of individuals, and look what it's multiplied to this day. And Jesus took a little boy's lunch and blessed it and broke it and started distributing it. And what did it do? It fed thousands, and there were basketfuls left over. Isn't it just like Jesus? He's always in the multiplying business. And I would remind you that it is a miracle that God can take nothing and multiply it and make it something. It's miraculous. In Genesis 1, when God spoke the creative work of Almighty God, what did he start with? Would you like the answer? Absolutely nothing. And out of nothing, he made everything. When David prayed in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do you know that the word that he used for create is the same word that was used in Genesis 1 for create that means to create out of nothing? I love this. David said to God, God, I brought you a whole lot of nothing, but if you'd take this and make something wonderful out of it, I'd give you praise and glory. May I say again, our God is never the God of less and less. He is the God of more and more. The devil gives you his best up front, and it's all downhill from there. The pleasure of sin lasts, but only for a season, and then it diminishes. Oh, but the path of the justice is a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Romans chapter 5 says that our God gives us much more. Aren't you glad our God is the God of multiplication? And so look at verse number 1. We begin with a principle here. It is the principle of multiplication. The disciples were multiplied. Now, do something. Just for fun, go back with me to chapter 2 for a minute. And let me show you something very interesting. There's a beautiful progression. In fact, before I show you the verse in chapter 2, back up to chapter 1 for a moment. We've got just a moment. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 15. The Bible says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and then there's a parenthesis. Look, even God's parenthesis are given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at the parenthesis. What's the first two words in the parenthesis? Read it with me, church. Ready? The number. Mark that in your Bible. The number of names together were about 120. I like the fact he says the number of names. Could I just tell you that to men you may be a number, but to God you're a name. He knows you by name. Anybody else glad God knows you by name? That you're not just in the crowd. No, no. He knows you individually. Preachers preach to to crowds of people, but the Holy Ghost speaks to individuals look at it, please. The number of the names together were about 120. Now, stay with me just a minute. When we started, we had 12, and one of them was gone by this point in Acts chapter number 1. So now you've got only 11. Somebody says, God bless those 11 men. Well, hold on just a minute, because the Lord can do a whole lot through a handful of people. So now the 11 has become how many, church? Tell me, what's the math here? 120. Is that right? Is that what your Bible says, 120? Mm-hmm. Turn the page now. Come to Acts chapter number 2. Look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were, please underline this word, added. Keep that in mind. Make a little mental note to yourself. We're adding, right? Is there a difference between addition and multiplication, yes or no? Yeah, well, big difference. So look at Acts chapter 2. They're being added. And mark this number, 3,000 souls. Oh, I love the ripple effect of the gospel, don't you? We move from Jesus to the 11, to the 120, to 3,000 people getting saved. How many of you think we're moving in the right direction? Yes? Turn the page again. And come over with me, would you, to chapter 4 and verse number 4. How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed and... What's the next two words, church? Hmm. The number of the men was about 5,000. Mark that in your Bible. So... You've got 11, and then you've got 120, and then you've got about 3,000 souls, and then you've got about 5,000. By the way, I would point out to you even the word about is significant here. Because the Lord is giving us a general idea of the numbers. I'm glad the shepherd knows every sheep by name. Not one of them is lost. He knows the exact number. He doesn't tell us the exact number because that's not the emphasis. He's simply showing that a tidal wave of gospel work is being done and the church of Jesus Christ is advancing against the gates of hell. And then, come on over, would you please, to chapter 5 with me. Let me show you something glorious. This is, this is where it all changes. It all changes right here. To this point, it's add, 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 add. Look at chapter 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, Would you please connect the last verse of chapter 5 and the first verse of chapter 6 because this is where addition crosses the great divide and becomes multiplication. This is the threshold. Watch, please. How do you move from simply adding people to the church, adding people to the church to seeing the gospel multiplied? Would you like to know? Write write this down because they all come from verse number 42 of chapter 5. First of all, they started doing it every day. It was daily work. May I say that for the Christian, for the true New Testament Christian, every day is gospel day. In your church today is old-fashioned day. I like that emphasis. And today is the first day of the week. Today is Sunday. You may say, this is the Lord's day. And I believe in the Lord's day. All day on Sunday is the Lord's day. But can I just remind you, every day is gospel day. And I love this thought, when they started giving the gospel every day, it moved from adding to multiplying. That's not all, look at verse 42 again. They not only did it every day, they did it in every place. Notice they were doing it in the temple, that's the public place, and they were doing it in every house. So they were doing it at the the place of worship, at the worship house, but they were also doing it at individual houses. Oh, I love the multiplication of the gospel here. Acts chapter 17, verse 17, the Bible says of Paul that he disputed with him in the market daily. You know, we get this idea of Paul standing up behind a pulpit somewhere (laughs) and preaching. That's not the way the gospel goes forth. Look, if you're waiting on all the sinners out yonder to come in here and listen to a guy like me preach, we're going to be waiting an awful long time. The Great Commission never said, open the church doors and let all the lucky sinners come find us. The Great Commission says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so, it's every day, it's in every place, and don't miss this, it's every believer. Would you mark the word they? Do you see the plural? It's not just a couple of them. It's not just one of them. It's not just the orators among them. It's not just the pastor among them. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And so, here's the great key that opens the blessing of God on the church. You ready for this? It is when it is more than the pastor trying to get the gospel out. It is every believer in this congregation. Every one of us. So let me ask you a personal question. Let's just get down to business right up front. What do you say? To whom did you give the gospel this week? Since last Lord's Day, who did you personally seek to endeavor to bring to Jesus? Somebody said, well, preacher, I've been busy this week. Friend, if you're too busy to do the Lord's business, you're too busy. And if somewhere we've disconnected our business from God's business, and we have this notion that it happens on Sunday in in religious contexts like this, we have missed the whole emphasis of the New Testament church because the principle of multiplication, it doesn't happen to see how many people we can get inside the building. It happens when we see how many people who are in the building we can get outside the building spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's do something. How many people live in Eastover? you have any idea? How many people live in the greater Fayetteville area? Anybody have an idea? Yeah, that's a lot of people, 200,000 people in your your Jerusalem. Think about that just a minute. 200,000 souls that will spend eternity somewhere forever i got an idea. Let's come to town. Let's put up a big tent or rent the biggest coliseum or arena found in this this area. And let's have a gospel crusade. Let's have a big gospel crusade. Let's bring some dynamic gospel preacher in. Let's get as many people in the building as possible. Let him stand up and tell them about Jesus. And let's imagine that on the first night of that meeting, 3,000 people get saved. How many of you think that would be a good meeting? Let's vote on it. How many of you would like to be there that night? I mean, that's the day of Pentecost. Think about that. Oh, but it gets better, it gets better. Night two rolls around. Guess what happens on the second night? 3,000 people get saved. And the third night, 3,000 people get saved. And the fourth night, 3,000 people get saved. And the fifth night, 3,000 people get saved. It wouldn't take long. It wouldn't take long till the national news media would show up and say, something's going on in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I can hear it now. I can see the headlines now. They're ushering in the kingdom in Fayetteville. Can't you hear it? Somebody said, oh, that'd be amazing, preacher. We're praying for that kind of meeting. Mm -hmm. Did you know at the current world population, if nobody was born and nobody died and we had that meeting, it would take 5,000 years to evangelize our planet? 5,000. Is there anybody here that thinks we have 5,000 years left before Jesus comes back? Okay, so I got a crazy notion. I know it's crazy. It's a little out there, but stay with me for just a minute. Let's imagine that this year, this year, we get one sinner saved. This looks like a sinner, so let me pick on him just a minute, all right? What's your name?
0: Sinner Hudson.
1: All right. So, Mr. Hudson, you're going to get saved and believe the gospel this year. You're in. Amen. Praise God. And let's imagine that this year, all that happens, all that happens is we see one man get saved. Now, we know one soul's worth it all. We believe that, right? But let's imagine this year that we not only win this man to the Lord, but this man gets in his heart that it's his job to take what he's received and relate it to somebody else. And this year he says, you know what I'm going to do? I can't do everything, but I'm going to do something. And I can't win everybody, but I'm going to win somebody. And this year, in the next 12 months, Mr. Hudson decides he's going to win one more sinner to the Lord. That looks like a sinner right back there. So, let's imagine that he goes after that sinner. And let's imagine that in the next 12 months, one sinner coming to Jesus now becomes two sinners coming to Jesus. Now, stay with me just a second. And the next year, the two of them get together and agree together in prayer and covenant together and say, You know, the Lord's been awful good to us. Let's do for others what somebody did for us. This year, let's pray and work together and hold each other accountable that the two of us would each reach uh, one more each. So that year, two becomes how many, church? Two becomes... Four. And the next year, theoretically, the four get together and say, we're all going to reach somebody. Each one reach one. And so that year, four becomes how many, church? Eight. And the next year, the eight get together and say, by the grace of God, we're all going to win somebody again because at least in 12 months, you can reach one person for Jesus. And that year, eight becomes how many, church? 16. And the next year, 16 becomes 32. And the next year, 32 becomes, and I'm going to stop. Some of you are reaching for your calculator, all right? So, Somebody's going to say, well, you know, they have a nice program down at that church. That's a nice idea. Did you know if the current world population, if nobody was born and nobody died and we did it that way, you could evangelize this planet in 35 years? Somebody says, that's not true, preacher. Run the math. Would you like to know the difference in the two programs? Look, please. The first one is this and the second one is this. The first one is addition. How many people can we add to the seating? sections. How many people can we add in the building? How many people can we add to the public meeting? How many people can we add for the preacher to talk to? And then the second, it's a totally different approach. It is not addition, it is multiplication. It is the multiplication, not simply of Christians or of church members, but of active witnesses for Jesus Christ. And this is how the New Testament church multiplies. Somebody said, that's an amazing idea. Yeah, well, I didn't come up with it. Jesus did. It's the Lord's way. It is the principle of multiplication. There's a second thing I want you to write down, and it is this. It is the problem of division. How many of you know division is different than multiplication? If God is always multiplying, would you like to take a guess at what Satan's always doing? He's always dividing. Look at verse number 1. You might even want to mark these two words in your Bible. Mark the word multiplied. Boy, that's a positive word. Isn't that a positive word? And then right next to it, would you mark the word murmuring? Forward movement always produces friction. Can you imagine? Somebody said, they're seeing thousands of people saved. Surely nobody could find fault with that. Have you ever been around a bunch of people? Some of the highest, holiest moments I've ever seen in church, carnal people say, excuse me, the dumbest things. Find something to criticize, something to fuss about, something they don't like. Be careful. Your mouth tells on your heart, you know. Peter, your speech betrays you. Then, if you're not careful, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaketh. And there's a group of Grecians here, and by the way, by the way, the widows should have been cared for, and the widows were going to be cared for, but there was a bunch of Grecians here that got a little ticked off about things, and they they didn't like what was going on, and so they started a church fight. Now, I'm sure this church has never had any disagreements in all of its years of existence. Never. I never ask. When I come to a church, I never ask a pastor on purpose. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You know why I don't want to know? Because I want to preach with liberty what the Holy Spirit tells me to preach. But let me testify. I grew up in a pastor's home. And I grew up in a church. And I've watched people say things they ought not say. And I've watched people leave churches over little piddly things that mount a hill of beans. And usually on their way out the back door they say something like this, Well, we just weren't getting fed. Usually that's not the problem. Usually the problem is they never learn to feed anybody else. They actually thought church was for them to consume instead of for them to minister and to give. We got it all mixed up. In our, our American Christianity is a world away from Acts christianity you know. And you know one of the things the devil loves to use? He loves to use division, suspicion, and strife among the people of God. Somebody said that a church quarrel is the devil's picnic. I like that. So when people start strife, contention, fussing, fighting, feuding, grumbling, groaning, mumbling, murmuring, the devil says i like that and do you know why because it grieves the holy spirit may i tell you what grieves the holy ghost most study your new testament you know we preachers we we get pretty carried away preaching about everybody else's sins Now i'm telling you now we can lay out the sodomites and the abortion crowd and all the rest of them Everybody everybody's amen preacher amen give it to him amen preacher Read your New Testament carefully. Do you know what grieves the Holy Ghost? Strife and contention among the people of God. See, we can spot their fleshly sins and miss our our spirit sins. And I want to say to you that as surely as there is the principle of multiplication in this church, there is the problem of division, and it must be addressed by spiritual people. Look, it is inevitable that problems are going to come, but spiritual people do not jump into that fray. Spiritual people look to the Lord for answers and say, God helping us, we're not going to be detoured from the task that Almighty God has given us to do. You would never have the church in verse number 7, If in verses 2 through 6, you did not have a group of people in that church saying, we're going to give ourselves to what matters to Jesus, and we're going to work through this and keep moving forward for the glory of God. Let me show you a verse. Everybody hold your place. Just put your hand right here. Don't lose your spot. And go back with me to Luke chapter 17 for just a moment. This is a powerful verse. Jesus said it. He said it to the first church, his own disciples. Look at Luke 17 verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples... It is impossible, but that offenses will come. And all God's people said, amen. We're not all going to get along all the time. We're not always going to agree on everything all the time. It's impossible. Look, church, look, you're sinners, and you're listening to a sinner, and we're surrounded by other sinners, and we're living on a sin-cursed planet. You think it's all going to be roses every day? My grandpa used to say, if you find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up. And he was right about that. There's no perfect church because there's no perfect people. A better way to say it is the way Jesus said it. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But, hmm, that's a pretty strong word. Woe unto him through whom they come. By the way, is there an exclamation point at the end of that verse in your Bible? Pretty interesting to see what Jesus got worked up about, isn't it? Offenses are going to come, problems are going to come, divisions are going to come, strife is going to come, contention is going to come, because that's the nature of man and that's the nature of the world we're living in. But, dear Lord, please don't let it come through me. And might I just say that sometimes even the, the most perceived spiritual people can become carnal. I'm talking about Peter, who always had something to say. Jesus looked him in the face and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. How'd you like the Lord to call you the devil? But every now and then, even the Lord's choice servants can become mouthpieces for the enemy. Pray right now, dear Lord, don't let that be me. Now, go back with me to Acts chapter 6. Let me show you another thing. You've got not only the principle of multiplication and the problem of division, but number three, notice the purpose of subtraction. Is there ever a need for subtraction? Absolutely. Look at verse number 2. The twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it's not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Nothing wrong with serving tables. Nothing wrong with ministering to widows. Everything right with that. But these men understood that was not the calling of God on their lives. That was not the commission Christ had left them to fulfill. Watch this, please. And so they understood that there were some things they were going to have to lay aside if they were going to fulfill what God Almighty had given them to do. May I ask you a individual question right now that only you can answer and you can only answer between you and god is there anything in your life right now that needs to be eliminated for you to be the person god saved you to become living things eliminate you know growing things have to eliminate healthy things have to eliminate may i ask you if you're a growing living breathing christian if you really are a healthy christian what is there in your life right now that needs to be laid aside? Not because it's bad, but because it is keeping you from what is best. And I love the spiritual discernment of these men who said, there are things that we could do, but just because we could do it doesn't mean we should do it. Let me testify for a moment. I'm 46 years of age. At this juncture of my life, I'm starting to realize that I cannot give my time and energy to everything. When you're young, you're going to do it all. Isn't that right? And then you live a little while and you realize, wait a minute, my days are limited. My energy is limited. My time is numbered. And you start whittling it down and realizing there are some things that are good and then there are some things that are best. You know what I fear? I fear that many churches and Christians spend their whole life on good things and miss the best thing. You waiting on me to tell you what to eliminate? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not the Holy Ghost in your life. Don't wait on me to call your sin by name. I don't have to call your sin by name. The Holy Spirit's telling you right now. And I'm starting to understand the difference between what I could do and what I should do. And I'm asking you, if we're going to do what God's given us to do, if we're going to see the church multiply, if we're going to see the work go forward, then is there anything in your life this week that you need to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to lay that down, I'm going to lay that aside so that I can give myself to the thing God wants for my life? They asked Dale Moody near the end of his life. They said, Mr. Moody, you've had this, this extremely fruitful ministry and you're not... You're not an old man, but you've seen so much accomplished. How did you see so much accomplished? And they said, without any hesitation, this was his answer. Moody said, I live my life by this principle. This one thing I do, not these many things I dabble in. And you know what? Most people live dabbling in many things and never getting down to what God has for them. And these men understood the Lord has given us a work to do that we are to fulfill. And by the grace of God, we're not going to be distracted and detoured from that. We're going to keep our eyes on the prize and keep moving forward for the glory of God. Look, church, you want to see the numbers grow here? I'm going to tell you how. Let every Christian get thoroughly right with God and lay aside anything, no, everything that hinders the Holy Spirit's work in their life and give yourself fully to the cause of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, you will grow and this church, Church will grow because this is God's way. One more thing and I'll be done. Would you write it down? There's not only the principle of multiplication the problem of division and the purpose of subtraction. But number four, there's the potential of addition. And I love this thought. Would you like to know when the potential was unleashed? Would you like to know when the, when the dam broke in the book of Acts? I'll tell you when. When they started adding more laborers. Notice what the Bible says in verse 7. It was after they added these workers, added these laborers, added these servants, that the Word of God increased. Let's take a vote. How many of you would like to see the Word of God increase? Yes? Look at verse 7. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. How many of you would like to see the number of disciples multiply in Fayetteville greatly? Would you raise your hand? Uh, Look, that's not it. Look at the end of verse 7. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Don't miss this. The greatest miracle of all is when religious people start getting saved. How many of you would like to see a whole bunch of religious people that think they're all right get right with God? How many of you would like to see that? Let me tell you when that happens. When we don't leave it up to one man or a handful of people to do the work of God. Excuse me. When we all get off the bench and get in the game. And you know part of the problem right now in churches everywhere I go? People have become spectators. Spectators. And they sit in comfortable seats in beautiful auditoriums. And they watch people on a platform perform. And I tell you, this is not the work of God. God is not looking for spectators. He is looking for participants. And if you want to see the work of the Lord move forward, find your place and do your part. Would everybody look, please, at verse number 5? Now, we're going to study Philip. We're going to study Philip. We're just going to zero in on one man. But look at this list for a minute. By the way, did you know these are all Greek names? That's fascinating to me. You want to see a little wisdom here? Who was fussing in the church? That's right. The Grecians, remember, had found fault because these widows had been neglected. So I love this. You know who the apostles got? They said, y'all have a problem? Good, y'all help us fix the problem. All Greek names. Look at this list, though. you got Stephen. He's the most prominent. He's listed first. We really know more about him than any other. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. It seems to me he's the leader of this group. These are the first deacons, by the way. And it wasn't a board to make decisions and run the thing. It was a group of servants who came alongside the preacher and said, What can we do to lighten the load and help the thing move forward to the glory of God? And then there's Philip. And then look at this list. There's Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I wish I had time to tell you what we do know about these men and their names and their cultures and their backgrounds. But this is, this is a group that is from quite a wide array of people and places. It's fascinating to me. Do you know what I see when I look at verse 5? Everybody look at verse 5. I see first the beautiful variety of the laborers. They're not all the same. We're not all the same. Everybody look around you just a minute. Would you look around you? Come on now. Don't look at me. You're not allowed to look at me. Look around you. See those people around you? Wave at somebody you haven't seen yet this morning. Folks have come in. It's good to see them. Good. That's wonderful. You see all those people around you? How many of you know you're not exactly like them and they're not exactly like you? Anybody else grateful to God for that? Yes. But that, look, that's a beautiful thing. There's a beautiful variety of believers because that's God's way. Do you understand? That's what the church is. The Lord brings all of these people who are a little different from one another, but he unites them in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when I look at this verse, I don't only see the beautiful variety of believers, I see the powerful unity of the laborers. Do you know what unified them? They were all given to God and to the work of God. Somebody said, Preacher, how do you get a church to agree you don't? You don't. You just don't get two people who think differently to agree on everything. But watch this. I got good news. You ready? You don't have to agree with me, and I don't have to agree with you. But we all have to agree with Jesus. I'm going to tell you where unity comes in a church, when people say, it's not my way or your way, let's just find out what Jesus wants, and whatever the Lord wants, we'll all say amen to that. Look at this verse. There's the beautiful variety of the labors. There's the powerful unity of the labors. And then there is the eternal productivity of the labors. Because when they started laboring together with God and doing it God's way, God Almighty showed up and worked and did what only God could do. And I want to say to you what worked in Acts chapter 6 in the first church will work today in this church. Because it's not just about the numbers, you see. No, no, that's... That's just the fruit that comes. The numbers can never be the goal. God is the goal. It's not just about the numbers. It's about every believer saying to the Lord, Lord, get everything out of your way that would hinder this work. And here I am. Let me do my part. And whenever every Christian does so, the numbers will come. And God will multiply his work. I'm glad to report to you that Christ is still building his church. And I don't know about you, I'd like to get in on that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Oh, God, open this to us this week. Speak to us this week. Our heads are bowed. Before I close the prayer, I'm not asking you to come forward this morning. But I am going to ask you to pray. See, prayer is just our response to God speaking. Has God spoken to you? Then we should respond. Talk to the one who's been talking to you for a moment. Would you pray right now, Lord, show me what needs to be eliminated? Be careful. He'll answer that prayer. Lord, show me what I need to lay aside this week. What weight, what sin... I wonder would you be willing to go this far today in this opening session and say to the Lord Lord here I am show me what I can do show me where I can plug in make me a laborer Lord we're not all going to be deacons and evangelists and pastors but we all can be witnesses for Jesus Lord show me how now while I pray, would you do this? Would you pray for your church? Right now, would you pray for your church? It's a special day for this church. Would you pray for pastor and people? Would you pray for your church? Would you pray today, dear Lord, you build your church here in this place, and let us be a part of that. Dear Lord, you multiply the numbers. Dear Lord, you do the work. Dear Lord, touch our church.
0: If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.